This week, I am joined by Craig Gramsci from Omada, here to discuss the importance of identity governance and how it is helping to solve problems in real world. Stay tuned to find out more. Let's talk about digital identity, the podcast connecting identity and business. I am your host, Oscar Santolaya. Hello for today's episode about identity governance and administration, mostly known as IGA. We have invited a super interesting guest who is Craig Ramsey. He is a senior solution architect at Omada. He's from Edinburgh, Scotland. He has worked for Omada for three years and has previously worked at RSA Security and different financial services organizations in the United Kingdom within their identity functions. Outside of work, Craig's main interests are hiking and traveling. Hello, Craig. Hey, Oscar. How are you doing? Very good. Nice talking with you. Thank you. You too. Let's talk about data identity. As usual, we want to hear more about our guests. Please tell us about yourself and your journey to this world of identity. Sure. So, I mean, thank you for the introduction. And I guess in terms of my journey into identity, it was a little bit by fluke rather than by design. Uh, I studied computer science. And when I graduated, I joined an operational IT graduate scheme. They had recently started a new IEM project because I think back in 2008, it was identity and access management, identity governance wasn't as mature as it was now. It was still kind of seen as an operational IT project rather than an information security principle. So the drivers there were more about the efficiency, automated provisioning and stuff. But yeah, they were looking for a graduate on that project. That was me. And apart from a few years where I decided to try what it was like being a policeman, I have uh, worked in identity ever since, either for, as you said, financial services organizations doing the work at the coalface or for vendors, either in project delivery or now pre-sales in my security uh, solution architect role. Excellent. So let's go first with the basics. We have not talked about IGA yet in this podcast, have not focused on that. So tell us what is that? What is identity governance and administration IGA? What is important? Sure. So, I mean, identity governance, when you focus on it at its core, it's a solution that will ensure your the, the right individuals have the right access for the right reasons at the right time in your organization. So it's protecting the authorizations or the resource assignments within your organization. And that's often policy driven to ensure that all of, and I think the important distinction here, when we talk about IGA, that's traditionally your internal identities, maybe your third parties and contractors. And then in terms of the, the overall importance of identity governance, as I said, it's evolved over the years from being primarily driven and focusing, looking at the provisioning element of things. But as governance has become more and more important, as we start to take a more holistic view at identity and you look at the adjacent technologies and um, privileged access management, cloud infrastructure entitlement management, user and endpoint behavior analytics, identity governance is now really being seen as the kind of control plane across that identity fabric. So I think it is becoming crucial and there's a lot of visibility now on the importance of identity now, right up to sea level that there maybe wasn't 10 years ago. You mentioned this concept about identity fabric. Could you also explain a bit more about that in this context? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, identity fabrics, uh, a term that's been coined 
in the last maybe few years by a lot of industry analysts out there. It's maybe a new phrase, but I think the concept isn't necessarily that new. So I think we also hear people calling it an enriched security ecosystem. So it's where you look at these solutions in the PAM space, UABA, your SIEM solutions, etc. Those traditionally have worked in perhaps a bit more of a siloed manner. And the integrations have been maybe limited and not as seamless. Whereas now, I think this concept of that enriched security ecosystem, that fabric, is that these things should be joined up and they should be the convergence of intelligence and data between those solutions, I think, is becoming more and more important so that you can take a holistic approach to reducing your identity-related risk. It is very important, as you said, because there will be, anyway, other solutions working together with IGA. Yeah, absolutely. What are the main problems? Just I'm sure there are many, <laughs> but what are the top main problems that IGA solves? Yeah, so from a sort of business problem or business challenge perspective, I think the main thing that we always focus on when we're helping people build their IGA business case is that we focus on security, compliance, and efficiency. So it's looking to increase the efficiency and productivity of your end users and their experience, all whilst ensuring that you've got increased compliance, increased security, and reduced risk. So When we look at that, some of those common challenges and problems within that would be reducing the attack surface in the organization. So removing unneeded access, adhering to the principle of least privilege, making sure that your identities only have the access they should. I mean, combining those two things is going to reduce the likelihood and the impact of a potential breach in the organization. It provides you with a unified view of access across the organization, which a lot of people often haven't had previously. So understanding who has what access And then there's the automation around identity lifecycle management. So that's reducing the time taken to provision your joiners, your movers, your levers. You're putting governance and auditing around all of these processes too. So when people are requesting access, you're ensuring they're getting it for the right reasons with the appropriate approval. And you're cutting down on things like rogue IT administration and stuff like that. So that's high level. There is more, obviously, but I think those are the high level ones that we see frequently when we're speaking to prospects out there in the market. It's a security, compliance, and yeah, efficiency. Yeah, we'd like to talk about this. But before, actually, it'd be interesting to, so people can understand what a broader concept, how it's try to imagine in their minds. If you can see a, in a real-world example how it works for a typical corporation that uses IGA. So tell us, these main processes that you say is mostly employees, right? What are these main processes? Let's say a, a new employee goes from beginning until the end. Yeah, so I mean, if we're going to talk at the phrase, we kind of from hire to retire. So when I try and explain this to my friends, maybe aren't so technically minded when they ask what I do, I sort of give them an example. I say, okay, you join an organization and you are working in their HR department. So from day one, you should have access to be able to log into the network, an email account, access to various file shares to do with HR to enable you to be productive from day one. So the IGA solution will help you identify the policies to automate that process to make sure that you are productive and also make sure that you've only got access to what you should. So if you're joining HR, you shouldn't be getting access to any file shares to do with finance, R&D, anything like that. And then as you move around the organization or your needs change, you should be able to request access that goes through the appropriate channels. It should be reviewed regularly to make sure that it is still appropriate as you go through your life cycle as an identity in the organization. If you are promoted or changed departments, that should change automatically in line with those policies too. And if you either leave the organization, be it permanently or temporary for maternity leave, garden leave, that kind of thing, your IGA solution should then disable or deprovision that access in a timely manner too to make sure you're reducing risk. So I mean, those are kind of some of the high level things that 
it's that right access for the right people at the right time for the right reasons is kind of trying to, in a nutshell. Indeed, that was in a nutshell, very easy to understand. Thank you for that. Some of these at least main problems and how these are being solved. But IGA, let's start with security as you put security first. How IGA is helping with security? So in terms of how it contributes to maybe security and risk management, I think it's providing stronger access control. So it's starting to limit access to your sensitive and privileged information. So when you start to look at either personal identifiable information, financially sensitive information, or privileged access. So this is when you start to look at integrations with adjacent technologies in the PAM space. You're ensuring that that access control is limiting that access, reducing risk. I already talked about the fact that that principle of least privilege means that if there is a breach in the organization, the identity of the account that's breached should have only the access needed to do the job that it can, and it shouldn't have any elevated permissions permanently. The, the ability to traverse the network or to have a much more impact on that breach should be reduced. You're also reducing the likelihood by integrating with identity providers to perform strong authentication, and that those unneeded accounts or unwanted accounts or unused accounts have been removed over time as well. So that should be helping you reduce the risk and then improve your security posture. In combination with that as well, if you look at some of the real-time monitoring and identity incidents sort of the detection and prevention, you're starting to see a, a integration with abnormal access patterns, maybe you know impossible logons, for example. We integrate with the Azure Identity Risk Subscription, so that's looking at if user logged on from Edinburgh one minute and they're trying to log on from Beijing the next, that's impossible, so that's maybe a, an indication of compromise. And then your IGA solution could lock down that account. So there's many ways you could do that. And it's obviously a maturity journey. You need to crawl before you can walk, before you can run. It's a maturity journey you go on to take a, a holistic view in reducing your identity-related risk. Yeah, indeed. From basic essential functionalities of security to much more advanced, like some of the ones you described. So the second one is, of course, we're interested about compliance. It's very common that someone comes start to ask someone from Omada or from another company, even if you be secure, we also do identity access management. One of the key drivers for them is compliance, especially in some industries more important than that. So tell us about compliance. Yeah, so I mean, when you go out there in the market and you're speaking to organizations, like more and more and more, we are speaking to organizations that operate on a global basis. So you've got country or region-specific things like GDPR, SOX, HIPAA, PCI, DSS, etc. that are external regulatory compliance frameworks that you must comply with. And we keep a track on that, things like SHREMS too as well. We're always keeping an eye on that to ensure that the solution we provide is compliant with those things. But then we're also helping our customers comply with how they are storing, processing and managing the data in relation to those things. So... If you look at what I often say is that an identity governance solution is a technical translation of your business processes. I think you always have to look at making sure your people, process and technology are working in harmony with each other. Technology alone will not resolve your problems. So as part of a wider identity information security strategy, you should ensure that your internal policies and standards are created in such a way that it will help you comply with those external regulations if they apply to you. But you should always look at, I think it's a healthy thing for any organization across any vertical to have these well-defined policies and standards and ensure that they can comply with those. And as I said, that's where identity governance comes in because it helps you comply with those things by defining policies that can detect when you're non-compliant. You've got that audit trail. So it offers, you've got transparent auditing for your internal and external users to prove compliance. You will go through regular recertification, attestation, reviews, whatever you want to call it. But that also ensures that your 
demonstrating regular compliance. And then we already talked about sort of risk management as well, but compliance and risk often do overlap each other. So you're identifying and mitigating compliance risks through the definition and enforcement of these policies as well. Indeed. So there is some reports that can be directly created, right, from the IGA system and then can be directly taken by the compliance officer or whoever requires it, right? Yeah. The other you mentioned, there was the operational efficiency, right? So that, as you mentioned, is one of the three main problems. I'd like to hear more about that as well, how IGA helps. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that I think separates IGA and the information security market sometimes, that it's not always focusing on risk reduction and things that are maybe potentially seen as negative. So, and you talk about fear, uncertainty and doubt within the sales process, etc. When you're doing that, it can often be quite a hard sell because it's hard to quantify the risk. We can't help with that. There's formulas out there of, calculating the impact of a risk based on you know the likelihood, the, the cost of the actual breach, etc. But to bring it back to what you actually asked about from an efficiency perspective, if you look at if organizations are still heavily manual in their provisioning and their processes, there's a huge cost to that from areas like your service desk, your operational IT administrators, and it often it leads you to the potential for human error as well. So if you start to automate those things, you see a reduction in numbers of calls to the desk, number of manually created events and things that are being done. And you can put a pound, euro, dollar sign against that clearly from an efficiency and a cost reduction perspective. From an end user perspective as well, I mean, it's always, I think there's, we're still trying to shake off the thing that security is a barrier to efficiency. There's an old adage that I keep using for it regularly that efficiency is insecure, but security is inefficient. And I don't think that's true anymore. I think if you correctly apply your policies in a way that apply the appropriate level of risk, your users, to them, it should be seamless pretty much all the time. They shouldn't see these processes in action. They should see it as they request the access they need. It gets granted to them in a timely manner. When they move around the organization, a lot of that should happen automatically. Overall, you should see an increase in productivity. Your, your line managers aren't getting frustrated when people join the organization and they're having to submit 10 different requests to get them functioning from day one. So it's overall operational efficiency and cost reduction, but the productivity and end user experience of it as a result of a well-delivered IGA program, I think is clear to see as well. Yeah, cost reduction is, is pretty clear and it's a great reason to buy a product like IGA, absolutely. Well, if you quantify that to a buyer, it's like, wow, <laughs> you can convince him or her very silly. Yeah. For example, are you secure? We are working with CIM. And I experience directly that sometimes come requests from potential customers and they are looking for identity and access management. And when we review closely, we see that sometimes what they need is IGA or what I need is both IGA and customer identity and access management. So, and in those cases, the customer will need to deal with these two types of systems, right? the IGA and CIM. So what is your perspective from your experience working integrating these two types of tools? What are the main things that a buyer, both from business and technical perspective, should know at least? Yeah, so I mean, funnily enough, I have worked on a couple of opportunities where Omada and UbiSecure have been working together on those kind of joint proposals where people are looking for IGA and SIAM. And I think it's interesting because you can make a very strong case about where the overlap is, but you can also equally make a very strong case about why they should be separate because of the nature of the requirements. From a SIAM perspective, you're looking for that seamless, really 
quick response for all your consumers out there. And you should be able to deal with high demand periods when you're very, very busy, when your consumers are consuming your services. And from an IGA perspective, you're very much looking at the internal and the control and the level of least privilege that we're talking about. And there are similarities in the capabilities in terms of you know being able to provision in a timely manner, deprovision in a timely manner, ensuring that it's the level of appropriateness. So if you look at it from an integration perspective, unified management of the identities, I think, could be important whilst treating them differently. I think your end user experience, again, should be important. So you're balancing security and efficiency for your internal and external customers. And then you should be able to have that from a scalability perspective by seeing those things integrate well with each other as well. I think what is important when you're speaking to people, understanding their requirements is crucial. So when they're talking about B2B or B2C capabilities and requirements, it's, okay, well, how do you manage your B2B and B2C use cases? Because I think if you take software or technical organization where their consumers consume their services in a far, far different way to maybe a retail bank or a supermarket, the requirements for end users from that perspective they're opening up a loyalty card in a store and you're processing their personal data in that manner. It's very, very different to maybe a software company where people are having accounts created and consuming those services. So as you can probably tell, not an absolute expert in the SIAM space, but I think whenever those opportunities arise, I think the first important question is why to understand what it is exactly they're trying to achieve. And then you map the use cases to the functionality in each of the appropriate solutions to make sure that it's well-matched. There will be overlap in some cases, but as I said, there's a strong case for when there's similarities and when they should be managed separately. But ultimately, it's part of that wider identity fabric we mentioned earlier that it's kind of all identity in the end, I guess. Yeah, indeed, as you see, you, you put it very clear the importance of really knowing very well their requirements because in a conversation, they might tell you, we need this one, two, three, five things. And it can be also in a written Excel file or whatever. And, but then you have to go deeply to understand what they meant by saying this B2B or, or, or anything, right? So indeed, thank you for sharing that. Looking now at the present and future, let's say, because IGA, as many other type of products, have been evolving, are evolving all the time because there are different needs. So what customers are asking today when they are clear that they need an IGA software, what they're asking today, and what are these new problems are being solved now and need to be solved if they are not solved today? So it's a very timely question, to be fair. We recently released a state of IGA for 2024 report at Omada. We did a webinar discussing the findings of it, and it did exactly that. It looked at how seriously people were taking identity. And then, as you said, what are they looking for currently and what are they looking ahead at as well? So, and we just talked about the why and the use cases. So I think number one that we still see is that the solution they're looking at adapts and meets to their changing business needs. So the requirements they have now and the requirements they think they'll see in the future, the core capabilities must adapt and must comply with that. We're seeing an increased importance being put on the ability for the solution to integrate as part of that security ecosystem we talked about. So being able to play nicely with the adjacent technologies across the identity fabric. And then from a connectivity perspective, I'm going to talk earlier about a unified view of access across the board. The nature of organizations has changed massively in terms of on-premise systems to a lot more cloud services being consumed. So the ability to extend and integrate with a growing list of different target systems is important for them. Looking ahead, we do see AI and machine learning coming up again and again. 
And I think when we see that, it's important to take those as separate things. So from an ML perspective, you know, if you look at kind of the role mining capabilities that have been there for some time, recommendations during reviews, recommendations for decisions or decision support for approvals, that stuff has been around for a little while. From an AI perspective, I mean, there's a huge buzz around what's happening in AI just now. Google just released their Gemini chatbot to rival ChatGPT and that the generative AI stuff and the practical uses of that are going to start to be seen. So integrating generative AI, we have stuff where it's looking at, they can ask questions about the documentation. So like, what is this object in Omada and what's the difference? And it's starting to respond to that. So we're in the process of testing, releasing that. And then looking further down the line, it will be generative AI within the solution. So a user logs in and it says, what are you trying to do today? I need the same access as my colleague, Alison. And it'll say, okay, she's got this, this, and this. Maybe this is what you need to request. Or it's becoming more mature and more complex or sophisticated in what it can do. So I think ultimately what people are looking for is ensuring that the solution they have can do what they need to do today and can do it well. It's scalable, it's easy to upgrade, it's easy to maintain. They're reducing the complexity of management of it, so they're simplifying it from that perspective. But looking ahead, they're needing that generic connectivity that can allow them to connect to any of the systems they have now and ones they want in the future, and then being able to take advantage of the advances in the AI and ML space to improve end-user experience and also the maintenance and administration of the system itself for their administrative users. So you believe that uh, machine learning and what we call artificial intelligence is going to be used because we're solving those problems that today customers are bringing up? I think it'll augment. And I think because that's the thing that people get worried about AI replacing us and whatnot. And maybe somebody using AI more efficiently than you might replace what you're doing. But AI itself can. And I think any algorithm that it does do in the output of it still needs human validation, particularly in a field like IGA, where, okay, it's taken a huge amount of data provided as output. And whilst it might look okay, there's probably some human context in terms of exactly what that business does that's needed to say, yes, I'm still okay with that. Because ultimately, the human's going to have to be accountable for the decision that's made. I don't think we're going to see algorithms being fined or sent to jail for data breaches, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, a human will go to jail anyway. <laughs> hopefully not. Hopefully that's, that doesn't no, happen. Hopefully not. That's what we're trying to prevent. You're right. Absolutely. We're trying to prevent that. But exactly, yes. exactly. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely. Also, one thing you mentioned, it comes back to what we discussed earlier, this identity fabrics. Yeah, the the way to coexist all these tools, IGA, BAM, CAM, all together. That's also, as you say, it's something that is becoming more, more important because the environments are getting more complex. Final question for you, Craig. For all business leaders listening to us now, what is the one actionable idea that they should write on their agendas today? So not to spoil the magic of the podcast, but we're recording this just before Christmas towards the end of the year. And I don't know when it's going to be released, but that's always a time for reflection and looking at where you're at and where you want to be going. And I think for any business leader right now, I think conducting an identity maturity assessment is something that you can do actionably right now. So look at where you're at from an identity maturity perspective and identify gaps that you need to start filling or priorities looking ahead and aligning that with your business goals, your business risks to ensure that your information security strategy, your policies and standards support your overall business objectives. And then from that, build in a plan of continuous improvement. So milestones as well. And I think any well-delivered IGA project should be doing that. It shouldn't be looking to boil the ocean or deliver everything at once at Big Bang. It should be continuous improvement and continuous demonstration of value. 
So I appreciate that might be, that's not something cutting edge or brand new or innovative, but I think it is really something actionable you can do now to take a step back, assess exactly where you're at, and then build that plan and start to try and action that. Do that at the end of the year, the start of the year. There's never a bad time to take a step back and reflect and put that plan in place. But I think that's definitely something actionable that they could put in their agenda right now to do from today. Could I agree more on assessment? Absolutely. Something needed. Yeah, takes time. <laughs> it's very actionable, as you said. Thank you very much, Greg, for having this very interesting conversation about AGA and other related topics. So... Let us know for people who would like to continue this conversation with you, follow you, find more about what you do. What are the best ways for that? Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me on LinkedIn, Craig Ramsey. I think my username is Craig Ramsey 86 Obviously, I work at Omada Identity, but that's, again, if you search for Omada, you'll find us there. I mentioned our State of IGA 2024 report. You can download that free from omadaidentity.com. And there's also an on-demand webinar where myself and uh, Rod Simmons, our VP of Product Strategy, discussed that report in depth. But uh, yeah, please do feel free to reach out and connect if you want to chat about all things identity or just want to know a bit more about Omada or myself. Yeah, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Oscar, as well. Thank you. My pleasure as well. All the best. Uh, Happy New Year. Now this coming the new year, 2024. I I wish you all the best for you, Craig, uh, Omada, and everybody who is doing all this great job in the identity space. Thank you. All the best. Thanks for listening to this episode of Let's Talk About Digital Identity, produced by UbiSecure. Stay up to date with episode at ubisecure.com slash podcast or join us on Twitter at ubisecure and use the hashtag LTADI. Until next time, 